0: Well, we're in a teaching series called One Another looking at those verses in the New Testament which describe the way you and I are supposed to feel about one another and treat each other as fellow believers, as followers of Christ. And God's doing a work in a lot of our lives and hearts and it's encouraging to see. Last week we even looked at a passage that talks about the way we're to deal with each other when we disagree. Uh, about things, whether it's uh, something really big or something small, the principles for how we are to treat each other and talk to each other when we disagree are laid out in Scripture and we looked at that. This morning we're going to focus on on, on understanding that uh, the way we approach God, now listen, the way you approach your relationship with God, your, you having a, a saving relationship with God, your ongoing relationship with God, the way you approach God influences, it shapes, the way you treat other believers. Take your Bible and open it with me, please, to the book of Galatians. We're going to look at some verses in the fifth chapter. Some of those were on the screen. We'll look at some of those verses in just a moment. Recently, I read a blog written by a woman named Heather, and she described when she was a child, her family attended a certain church. They had a children's church, so when the parents were in worship, those in grades one through four would be dismissed, and they would go to children's church. What all the kids... Arrived at children's church, the the adult volunteers, the workers, pinned on their clothing a white heart. It was a a, a heart out of paper. It was cut out in the shape of heart, and they would pin it to their clothing. If they misbehaved, they would talk. (laughs) They'd fidget, you know, disrupt in any way. The workers replaced the white heart with a gray heart. If they misbehaved a second time... They replaced the gray heart with a black heart. And the kids had to wear those hearts until the parents came and picked them up. And she said there were some kids who always had a black heart. And she would sometimes see kids um, leaving with their parents in tears. Heather herself said that she became absolutely terrified of church. Now, I'm going to give those adult workers the benefit of the doubt that their intention was good. But here's the question. What kind of image of God were they intentionally or unintentionally, what kind of image of God were they creating in the hearts and minds of those little kids? Was it one of a loving God, a God of grace, or a very you know, you know stern God? And if you step out of line, any at all, what, what, and, and what... Were they teaching those kids about themselves, how they were to view themselves? Do you think it made them want to love God and know God? Or struggle to accept the grace of God? See, the the way we approach our understanding of God, our view of God, is going to affect how we treat people. And, And something as important and simple, because important and simple can be the same thing as how you deal with kids in children's church read about a young man named Mark who was in college, loved Jesus, and every Friday afternoon he attended a Bible study in his dorm. It met at 2 o'clock, and when the Bible study was over, he would leave, go home. He'd drive from college to his home, and he would play the piano in his home church. Then Sunday evening he'd return to college. And he told about one day the, the leader, this was this was a ministry, you know, a parachurch ministry and the staff member of that ministry he was leading the Bible study, came in one Friday afternoon and he said to them that he had some questions about how committed they really were to Christ. And in his mind he was going to put them to the test to find out just how much... They love Jesus. How committed were they as Christians? So he said, our Bible study is no longer going to be at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Instead, our Bible study will be at, we're, we're going to meet for Bible study at 530 on Saturday morning. And uh, he encouraged them, quote, unquote, to uh, commit to be there. And, and eventually he got all of them to raise their hands except Mark. All of them said, we'll be there at 530 Saturday morning except Mark he said to mark well i want you to hang hang with me afterward I want, I want to talk to you so mark stuck around and the the staff member the bible study leader said to him i just i just have questions i just don't think you're that committed to christ and i love the way mark responded he said oh i'm committed to christ all right i'm just not committed to this bible study he said it was good for me on Friday afternoons at 2 o'clock. But there's no way I'm coming at 5.30 on Saturday morning. See, if, if you have a view of God that says when, when, when you do these things, that proves your commitment. And if you're not willing to do the things that identify, then it, it, it means you something's wrong. with The, the truth is... You need to look in the mirror because if that's how you're approaching relationships, it's saying more about you than it is about them. And all of these one another passages in the New Testament make this very, very clear. And so I want us to really kind of break it down today and and, and understand what God is teaching in His Word because Mark had a healthy relationship with Jesus. But this leader who tried to force on him his inaccurate view of what it meant to be to be committed affected not only how he related to Christ, but it affected how this leader related to those that he was trying to disciple as fellow believers. So if you got your Bible, open it to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And let me give you a little background. These churches located in what today we would think of as, as Turkey, most of them, many of them were started by the Apostle Paul and his associates as missionaries on his first and second missionary journey. And later, these churches started having problems. They started being torn apart, and what was tearing them apart was some false teachers who showed up. Now Paul, you remember, with this, was, was this Jew who had become a Christian. His background was, was a very strict, legalistic Jewish follower. And he was set free from all of that by the grace of of God and his faith in Christ. And he was saved. And as we've looked at in recent weeks, he came to understand that that you're saved by faith in Christ. The love of God that sent Christ. You're saved through faith. That's it. And we saw last week, you know, those Old Testament rituals and the Mosaic law don't apply. That's, That's not how we live the Christian life. Well... Some people showed up at the church who disagree with Paul. And they said, if you're going to really be saved, then you have to follow some of these Old Testament rules. For instance, you have to be circumcised. And you'll remember we talked about some of those things last Sunday if you were here. You have to go back and follow the Mosaic law, the Old Testament ritual codes. And, and the first one is, is you have to be circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, and if you don't follow these these laws of Moses, these Old Testament rituals, then you can't be a real Christian. You can't be saved. And it started spreading in the church. And 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 the more it spread in the church, the more it disrupted the church. Not only the conflict between those who who were trying to hold to the truth, but as people increasingly began to think that that works and things that I do somehow play a part in my becoming a Christian. What started happening in this particular church and happens in churches today is when you start thinking that what you do, your works, your efforts, your rules, your good deeds are part of you becoming a Christian, and 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 you begin seeing God more through that through through, through that funnel through through those, through that lens. Then you do simply the grace of God and faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit living in your heart that changes. When you begin to approach it from from that legalistic view, what tends to happen is you start comparing yourself to others. And you're either going to beat yourself up all the time and say I'm nobody, I'm no good, I can never serve Jesus, or you're going to look at others and and more often than not, the more dedicated we become to Christ, the more critical we become of others, the more negative we become about others. We, we start saying, you know, he, she wouldn't do that if she loved Jesus. He would, he would, he would be like this. They, they would, and we, we have all these things that that we say. If you really loved Jesus, if you were really following, this, this is what you would be. This is what you would do. And when Christians start treating each other that way, what does it do to the relationships? What does it, what does it do to the fellowship of the church? What does, it, what does it do to the spiritual power of that church? And so the churches in Galatians were struggling with this, this issue and they, they, they were treating each other badly because they had made salvation about something they were doing and less about the grace of Jesus And faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ. And the role of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. So let's walk through these verses real quickly. Starting at verse 1. Now here's what he says. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. We're free from those Old Testament ritualistic laws. We don't have to be circumcised, etc. to be saved. He said, therefore, keep standing firm. Hey, don't, don't, don't change. Don't, don't become like these who are coming to your church with this false teaching. Don't, don't, don't fall for what they're doing, for what they're saying. Stand firm and don't, notice this, do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. It's interesting. You know, I'm an old farm boy and yoke, you know, you, you, you put that on oxen. You put that on mules to pull things. To control them, to get them to pull for you. Slavery. Sometimes they would put yokes and so on on, on the necks of slaves to control them. And God in his word is saying when you when you, you approach your relationship with God primarily from this legalistic approach, from this, this work, self-effort, look at me, here's what I do. Here's my rules, etc., do's and don'ts, all this other stuff. When when you approach your view of God, your relationship with God, primarily from that perspective, it's like putting a yoke of slavery around your neck, and, and you become a slave to those rules. You become a slave to the flesh, and the more you empower the flesh, the more you empower Satan to work in your life, and the more that happens, the nastier, the meaner you're going to be to others Who claim the name Jesus as their Lord and Savior is a powerful image. The yoke of slavery, and he's asking, why would you do that? Verse two: Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I mean, if you're going to say, "Hey, you know, these rules, my behavior is—is it? You don't need Jesus. You got your rules." You're following the law. That's your approach to God, because you can't you can't put the two together. You can't come to God because of the grace and the crucifixion of Jesus and your faith in Him and by your own efforts. It's, it's not a combination of those. He said in verse 3, I, I testify to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. In other words, if, you're, if your approach to God is, hey, I'm going to have a relationship with God by, by being good. But all these things I do, then, then he's saying you have to be absolutely perfect and obey every rule every single time. Because if you break the rule one time, you're a rule breaker. If you break the law one time, you're a law breaker. If you commit a crime one time, you're a criminal. And so if your approach to God is a works-based approach, then the only way you can get to God that way is to be absolutely perfect. Now, let me ask you, is there anyone in here who's kept all the rules all the time, every time? So you've got to come to the realization that if your approach to God is primarily do's and don'ts and rules and this and that, then you're never going to find God because you're not going to be perfect. Verse 4, he says, you've been severed from Christ. Those of you who are seeking to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. You're just going about it. You're going about it all wrong. Verse 5, we, notice this now, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. He said, here's, here's here's the biblical approach, here's the right approach, here's God's approach. If you want to have a relationship with God, it's through faith. And and we're waiting. We have this hope for righteousness that, that yes, I'm forgiven and and I'm saved and I'm righteous in the sight of God. But I'm not going to realize all of that until the the future. All the blessings, all all the rewards of my relationship with Christ come in heaven. And and, and I know I have that hope of righteousness that when I stand before God and in the New Testament, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is something that is real. You just don't have all of it right now. Some of it is still out there in the future. And, and, and we have this hope of righteousness through faith in Christ that when we stand before God on the judgment day and He looks at us, what He will see is not our effort, but He will see that we are righteous. Why? Not because of our effort, but because we have a faith relationship with Christ. That's our hope. And it's all through faith. But if it's about your effort, your doing, your accomplishments, your obeying the rules... And if that's what you want God to look at on Judgment Day, then, then the picture is going to be very, very different. So he continues. In verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. And the word translated means is, is the word for power. It's the idea that it, that circumcision or not being circumcised, it has no power to save anybody. Obeying these rules has no power to save anyone. What does? Faith working through what? Now look at that again at the end of that verse. Faith working through what? Your relationship with Jesus is about faith and love. And brothers and sisters, that means our relationship with one another is also about love. And being family because of a common faith in Jesus Christ. Well, he continues. I'm going to walk us through these verses and then make a couple of, couple of uh, important points. Verse 7, he said, you were running well. You were doing so good, okay? You, you, were, you were moving forward, making progress in your Christian life. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It's interesting, the Greek word that in our English Bibles translated as hinder means to cut. And this image of, of running You're running. Who cut you? Who cut in on you? you, If you watched the Olympics last night, you saw uh, the British athlete Mo Farrell win the the 10,000 meter race. That's what, about 6.2 miles? But with 15 laps to go, he was accidentally tripped and he failed. But he got up, kept running, and eventually caught the leaders. And on the very last lap, passed the leader and ended up winning the gold medal when when you and i listen when when we we approach god from this this works-based model this you know i do all these things and and then we begin comparing others to us and us to others and and we begin criticizing you're going to see it very clearly in a moment how they were treating each other it's, it's like we cut each other. It's like we, we we somebody's another Christian's running the race and all of a sudden you cut in on their running and you trip them with criticism. You you trip them with put downs, you, you trip them with judgmental comments. You you, you trip them with, with your standards and with your rules. Who hindered you? Who, who He said, let's, "Let's not do that to one another." And you know the truth is, I do. I, I genuinely believe that that most of us in this room, we, we don't want to trip other people who are trying to live for Christ, but yet we have a tendency to do it if we're not, if we're not careful. Well, he continues, verse eight. This isn't from God. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, you ladies and men who like to cook, and you put that stuff in there to make the bread rise, and it spreads, it impacts the whole thing. And, and the interesting thing is a works based approach, a critical approach, a, a, a judgmental approach, it begins to spread. And before you know it, it's affected the whole church. It's affected the whole Sunday school class, your your ministry team or group, your your small group. It just spreads and touches everybody that's connected with that lump of dough, with that group of believers. He encourages them in verse 10, says, "I, I don't think you're going to keep going down this path, and I wish those who were troubling you would just get out of the way. And then very important verses. We're going to park here for a few moments. Verse 13. He said, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love do what? Serve one another. For the law was fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now here's the interesting thing. These verses about how we treat one another, biting, devouring, consuming one another. And by the way, verse 15 are the words that were usually used for animals attacking one another. And he said, when we do this, that's what we're acting like. We're acting like wild animals more than we're acting like the followers of Jesus Christ. And and the verse that talks about that kind of behavior, biting one another, devouring one another, tearing one another down, consuming one another, destroying one another. And even dropping down to the last verse in the chapter, verse verse 26, he said, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. These things, this, this... this description of how some believers treat other believers is in this passage talking about our freedom in Jesus Christ through a faith relationship made possible by the grace and love of God versus the approach that some have to God that's more legalistic, that's more about rules, that's more about do's and don'ts because when we when we, you see, I don't, I, listen, let's, let's just be honest we're a Bible believing church and if I were to Ask you, how's a person saved? Practically everyone in this room, maybe a few exceptions, but most of you in this room would be able to say, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. I repented of my sin and committed myself to Christ. Almost all of us would say that. And yet there's that tendency after praying and committing our lives to Christ to drift over to living the Christian life from more of a legalistic perspective. But when it comes to committing ourselves to Jesus, it's through faith and grace. But when it comes to living the Christian life, we revert back to what these false teachers would do if we're not careful of of having our list, our standards, and measuring everybody. And when we do that, we end up doing verse 15. That's the reason this verse is in the context of, of the, the chapter talking about this critical issue. How you approach God not just when you become a Christian, but in living the Christian life affects how you view other believers and how you deal with them. And if you're a person who tends to be negative, critical, comparing one to the other, judgmental, then you're struggling with moving from a position of grace and faith and living the Christian life to more of a workspace, do's and don'ts approach to living the Christian life. And on some level, just about all of us struggle with it because we know we're supposed to obey Jesus. But the end result can sometimes be really, really ugly. And verse 13, when he says, the the freedom you have in Christ, don't turn it into an opportunity for the flesh an opportunity is a the word means a, a base of operation a place from which the flesh can work in your life and that can happen through a liberal perspective where you say there's no moral absolutes and I can just do whatever I want i'm forgiven it doesn't really matter but for most of us the other way it happens is when we listen when we when we turn our living for Jesus into more of a works-based model we are we're giving a place in our life, a base of operation from which the flesh works more powerfully than the Holy Spirit works. Because a, a, an effort-based, a works-based, a deeds-based approach to living the Christian life is about self and self-effort more than it's about the work of the Holy Spirit in my life or in your life. And so he says we always have to be reminding ourselves, going back to the basis, going back to the very beginning, we're saved through faith. We're saved because of the love of God. And the Bible elsewhere says you are to live the Christian life the same way you started. As you have received Christ the Lord, Paul says in Colossians, listen, as you have received Christ the Lord, what? So walk in Him. You live the Christian life the same way you became a Christian, by faith, transformed by the grace and presence of God. But when we shift it over after getting saved, then we, we give the flesh with all of its all of its evil intent a place in our life from which to work and do damage. And we have to always be on guard against that because the tendency is the more we the more dedicated we become, if we're not careful, the tendency is we can drift into that and not even know we're drifting into it. So he says, don't do that. Instead, in your freedom, choose love and choose service. We talked about those two things in the very first sermon in this series. Love is the foundation from which everything else we do in our relationships with one another grows. And so, choose in your freedom, choose to love and show that by serving, not by comparing. Serving, not by judging. Serving, not by criticizing. Verse 16, let's continue. We're almost out of time. Let's, let's, let's run through this. He said in verse 16, but I, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Do you know what he's saying? The Holy Spirit is more powerful than your flesh, but if you're going to allow the Holy Spirit's power to be operative in your life, you have to focus on Jesus and His grace and your faith in Him more than you have to focus on your efforts and your rules. Now, he he goes on in the next verses to talk about how the flesh and the Spirit battle one another. Let me ask you, which which has a bigger influence on your life? For instance, um, earlier this week, I drove down to White Oak, and uh, interestingly, along the way, I saw eight state troopers sitting in their marked cars, no unmarked cars, well, there may have been some unmarked, and I didn't know it, but uh, at least I counted eight in marked cars sitting in the median looking for speeders. Now, they weren't all together. They were spread out over about 30 miles. Now, do you think that affected how fast I drove? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. would it you? I hope so. Here's the question, though. Which do you think has more influence on how how fast people drive on on the interstate? A lonely road sign that says speed limit 70? (laughs) Or marked patrol cars sitting beside the road? See, the laws, the rules... The do's and don'ts, the flesh, the legalistic approach, that's those speed limit signs. Doesn't work. People have been trying it for centuries. Doesn't work. Destroys churches, destroys Christians, destroys relationships, destroys fellowship, destroys our witness in the community. The Holy Spirit's the state troopers. Because if I'm saved and he's living in me, guess what? He's going to talk to me. He doesn't need you to do it. He's the state trooper. And so he said, if you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, you you won't live by the flesh. The flesh won't control you. So stop giving it a base of operation. How do you give the flesh a base of operation in your life? Becoming a legalistic, rules-based Christian rather than one who lives in love and grace and faith filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 17, the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. The word "against" is the Greek word "kata," means down, down from. It's the idea that the flesh is always trying to suppress the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's always trying to push it down in your life, and the Holy Spirit is always trying to suppress, push down in 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 you as a believer the work or the influence of the flesh. But when have you ever, you know, when I took driver's ed back in high school, you know, all those years ago. One of the things they taught us was when you're driving, whatever you stare at, you're going to move that direction gradually, right? You don't stare at an oncoming car, especially at night. You'll drift that direction. If your focus is on the flesh, your focus is on self-effort, guess what? You're going to drift increasingly that direction, and it won't work. And you'll be frustrated with yourself. And even if you succeed for a little while, you'll look around and start being frustrated with other people. And sometimes it's because the only way you can make yourself feel better is to make somebody else feel worse. So allow the Spirit to work in your life. Notice verse 18. We're led by the Spirit. We're not under the law anymore. The deeds of the flesh, we've looked at these previous sermons. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and so on. And sometimes we read that so fast we focus on the sexual sins and the alcohol and drug abuse and miss the point. That a focus on the flesh and a works-based approach to your relationship with God produces anger and envy and strife. All those relationship issues. It's like a kid who can never be good enough to get their parents' approval. But he said the Spirit, when you focus on the Spirit allowing Him to work in your life, there is fruit He produces. In verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now which group do you think is going to foster better relationships within your family, better relationships within your Sunday school class, better relationships in your ministry team, better relationships in the church? Can I be honest for just a bit? I think sometimes we don't trust the Holy Spirit to do his job, so we think we have to do it for him. And I say again the Holy Spirit's more powerful than the flesh when we allow him to work. And while he's producing the fruit of self-control and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness, guess what that's going going to also include? Love and joy. See, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if he's he's working powerfully in your life, you're not going to walk around negative all the time, down all the time, mad all the time, critical all the time, sour all the time, because he produces joy. And love and patience. The other stuff, is the flesh that produces those things. So how do how how do how do we deal with this? What do we do? Well look at verse twenty four. You belong to Christ. Crucify the flesh. Put it to death. Stop focusing on it. Stop trying to be a rules-based approach in your relationship with God. Crucify the flesh with all of its passions, all of its desires. And in verse 25, instead, live by the Spirit. Now, it's been said before, and I think it's a pretty good description, that you know, living for Christ, living for Jesus is sometimes like walking on a narrow path. Jesus did say it's a narrow door we enter into salvation, right? So it's like, it's like walking on a, on a narrow path, and on either, on either side of that narrow path is a cliff, a big, big drop-off. And what a lot of us who are conservative and Bible-believing are afraid of is on this side, on, you know, this cliff is liberalism and all things go and, and there's no moral and ethical, just do whatever. You know, we're afraid of that cliff. And so we keep sticking our feet as a, re, as a reaction. We keep sticking our feet over on the other edge, on the other cliff. And that cliff is legalism. Own, i got to do it. My own effort, my rules, my standards, my and and, and, and pushing those on others. And, and then that begins to affect how we see them and how we talk about them and how we evaluate them and how we are in relationship with them and how we treat them rather than stay on the path. You know, I, I'm a sinner, and I'm not worthy of heaven. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And even if I love Jesus with all my heart, I'm a sinner. Forgiven. Because God loves me and I repented of my sin and placed my faith in Christ and he's forgiven me, but it's not not me, it's him. And that never changes. It's not how I get on the path, it's how I stay on the path. And, And I don't want to fall off either cliff. And I have to trust that the same Holy Spirit who convicted me of my sin, who drew me to Jesus Christ, who came into my life when I accepted Christ and converted me and the same Holy Spirit who's been growing me all these decades since can do it in you and can do it in others. And I need to trust him to work in this world and work in other people's lives just like I want him to work in my life. Instead of me saying, well, he can't do it over there. i got to do it for him. Because when we do that, we start pushing people off. Cliff. And some some Christians, we've all seen them. Running the race, running the race, and somebody trips them, somebody cuts in on them, knocks them down. Not all of them get up, do they? Not all of them get up. So be careful about cutting in on somebody. Be careful. The Holy Spirit will use His Word to speak to me, to speak to you. We're to love one another, pray for one another, we're going to teach one another. But only He can empower any of us to live the Christian life and grow in godliness. Let him do his work. Would you stand?